In 86, Anna Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club Club. Let's introduce the show. Let's introduce the show. Hi, hi, and welcome to the Babysitter's Club Club. Club. Good. A podcast in which I, Jack Shepard, and I, Tanner Greenring, discuss the classic works of Princeton's own Princess Annabelle Matthews Martin, Stormborn and Sanctified, first of her name, last of her kind, and last hope for humankind. Also known as Anna Martin. Yep. We got everything in there, right? Yeah, I think we got it. You got it all. I mean, everyone's kind of just condensed it down to St. Anna Martin. Yeah. On Twitter. St. Anne. St. Anne. Yeah. Um, we discuss her works. And this week, we read an electrifying book full of tension, full of excitement. Mm-hmm. Is it it's so exciting that you're just rereading it? Is that what's happening? Is that why you're not, uh, I had not engaging with me here? I saw something in your room that triggered a memory for me, and it made me start thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm looking to see if this little brief thought that I had was justified by the text. You want me to fill some time right here while you're doing that? We read a book called Stacy's Emergency. It's sort of justified by the text. Okay. On your shelf behind you uh-huh. is a pair of red sunglasses. Yeah, that's in the text. Yeah. It actually appears twice, weirdly. Yeah. Do you think there's some significance there? Well, I can tell you that Kant has a metaphor about rose-tinted sunglasses as a way of viewing the world. And essentially, rose-tinted sunglasses for Kant are a metaphor for causality um, and time and other constructs through which we have to see the world and which prevent us from understanding and seeing the thing in itself. So, yes, there is a long historical, philosophical, and literary significance to red sunglasses. Because Lane brings Stacy a toy tarantula yeah. that's wearing a pair of red sunglasses. Yeah. And later, Dawn is babysitting Charlotte, um, and they're playing doctor, and there's a pair of lensless red sunglasses Wait, really? in the doctor's kit that Dawn wears. I missed that second reference. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Read them both. Okay. This this requires some context that we obviously are... Um... We're down this rabbit hole. Let's get it out. Okay. Read the two sunglass references, and then we'll, we'll find a way to circle back. Lane reached into the small bag again. Next is this. She handed me a small box. I lifted the lid. Inside the box lay a huge brown plastic spider wearing a pair of red glasses. Lane wound him up and let him wiggle across the bed table. Gross, I exclaimed, but I couldn't help laughing. Can you believe it, Lane said. I got the red glasses somewhere else. They just happened to fit the spider. So that's the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler. Stacy gets sick. Stacy gets sick and goes to the hospital. Oh, man, we're giving it all away before we do our descriptions, and it's it's really get my hackles up. Don located the black plastic bag and set it on Char's bed. I better give you a checkup, she said. I should find out what's wrong with you before I interrupt your parents at their meeting. Dawn held the plastic stethoscope to Char's chest. She stuck a fake thermometer under her tongue. She used every instrument that was in the kit. She even wore the pair of red, glassless glasses. Oh, my God. You're perfectly healthy, she announced several minutes later. That is astonishing. And there's no way that Anne did that accidentally. Did you notice that before, that there are two instances of these red glasses? And they're mirrors of each other, right? Charlotte is mirroring Stacy throughout this book. Stacy goes to the hospital, and Charlotte Johansson suddenly essentially Googles WebMD and gets every disease that she can think of. Her mom's a doctor. Her mom's a doctor. Dr. Johansson. Yeah. Charlotte's mom is a doctor, and Charlotte suddenly comes down with every disease uh, in the book. Right. And... That parallel is emphasized by the weird appearance of this very specific prop, the red sunglasses. This Kant reference. This obvious Kant reference. (laughs) That's what jumped out for me. Yeah. Um, Well, you know what? That's been a hell of an episode. Yeah. I think we really unpacked this text. Should we, uh, you want to just call it a night? I think so. Yeah, we got it all done in uh, 
like five minutes. Yeah. That's Ooh. great. I'll get yeah. home. I'll get some gaming in. Good. Um, you know what actually we should do? Let's describe this novel for the baby nation who may not have read it or may not have read it recently. And let's uh, give them a little bonus treat and describe it twice this week. I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> Why would it be? <laughs> that seems redundant. <laughs> However, that is exactly what we're going to do. I'm going to give a top-level view of what happened in this novel, and then we're going to hone in on some details. I'm going to put 60 seconds on a clock and have you describe the rest of what happens. Good. You ready for that? Yes. Why don't I have a crack at it first? Have you got nothing else to say? Why do you own so many running shoes? I'll tell you why. One, two, three, four pair. Because if you run a lot, you wear out your running shoes. Yeah, you don't run that much. I do. Uh-huh. Traditionally, lately, I've been injured. Yeah. You didn't really want to talk about me running at all, did you? I just think it's weird you have so many running you shoes. You just wanted to get me off track because I was about to describe the book. Is there anything else you want to get out before I get started, my friend? I'm just glancing around the room. I don't really see anything. <laughs> I feel like as somebody who has immersed themselves as much as you have into these texts, into the Sitter Cycle, into the novels by Anne Matthews Martin, you would be excited to hear a fellow traveler, a fellow Martin scholar. I'm kind of like a present. jaded. Yeah? I'm not over it, but it's like I've seen scrappy young greenhorns like you. Mm-hmm. You guys come through every day. Like, <laughs> you're so excited to really dive into these books, but I'm just sitting here like, you just wait. It'll all come back in the end. We'll mm-hmm. all be burned in the end. <laughs> we'll all burn. It all ends in fire. It all ends in fire. Well, good. But you're for now. Notch in my bedpost. <laughs> That's, okay, good. I'm sorry to hear that. The bed is Anna Martin's, Anna Martin's text. Text. Okay. Yeah. And instead of sex, <laughs> uh-huh. we're reading and discussing the books. Okay. Good. Well, with that image fresh in your mind, Baby uh-huh. Nation, <laughs> I'm now going to describe the book for you. I'm going to begin now. When their only daughter, Anastasia, is rushed to the hospital, Maureen and Edward McGill must try to put aside the anger and the hurt surrounding their acrimonious divorce and play nice for the sake of their family. This honest and refreshing look at the aftermath of a broken marriage reveals the humor, the heartbreak, and the humanity that drives people to fall in and out of love, whether it's good for them or not. And it's certain to resonate with anyone who has ever uttered the phrase, in sickness and in health. Anastasia McGill is laid up in hospital, but it's her parents' relationship that's on life support. And even New York's finest doctors can't find a cure. Stacy's emergency. Felt like I reeled you back in at the end there. You were uh, making a big show of yawning, or maybe you just didn't notice that that's what it looks like across this table, across this void where I'm trying to make a human connection. I wasn't yawning. I was holding in a cough. Kind of talking about... uh, Just letting you get through your thing. What happens when... Kind of my own medical emergency over here, you know? (laughs) Two people who Kind of had to cough pretty badly. Really, really liked and cared for each other, eventually got on each other's nerves so fucking much that uh, it all fell apart. If you paid a little more attention to me, you would see that I had to cough badly, and you would kind of like let me have a moment. Okay, okay. It's all about you. It's all about Jack, huh? (laughs) It's all about me during my time, during my time to describe the book. You're the reason Stacy got diabetes. <laughs> Is that what they say to one another? Basically. <laughs> Basically, they blame they both blame each other. For Stacy's unavoidable disease that she was born with. Yeah. Type 1 diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Maureen. Is that her name? Yeah. <laughs> it's very satisfying to say that. Are you saying it's satisfying because you think that Mrs. McGill is to blame in all of this? Or is it just like the words sound good? Yeah, it's just the mouthfeel of it. Yeah. Who do you blame? For Stacy's diabetes? For this episode. I mean, an unfeeling God. I blame Anne, right? Huh. A baby was born in Stony Brook. Right. There's a, a precious child, a precioso Andrea. child, Andrea. Andrea the boy, precioso. Yeah. And what a thing for Mr. Precioso to name his daughter. Yeah. Precious boy. Precious boy. <laughs> <laughs> Does Prezioso mean precious in yeah. Italian? <laughs> yeah. He named his daughter Precious Little Boy. 
good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, well, first of all, Anne is in the happy reading section. Mm-hmm. Anne admits that she has been plagued by diabetes her entire life. Not her personally. Not personally. She does not have the disease. Mm-hmm. But she had several friends growing up who suffered from the disease. Yeah. And then at some point in her life, Mouse, her cat, was diagnosed with oh, yeah. feline diabetes. Mm-hmm. And she really struggled with that yeah. for the rest of Mouse's life. Yeah. So I think Anne probably has a deep hatred for this disease. Yeah. So uh, her inflicting it on Stacy is a message she's sending that she's angered somehow. Stacy has angered her. Maybe we blame Stacy here. Yeah, I think we blame Stacy, which yeah. is like pretty easy for me to do. Yeah, it's not a it's not a leap. Well, and this is the thing: Stacy's always trying to escape to New York, and it, it makes sense in the context of this. Anne has created this perfect little bubble where these girls live the same year over and over in Stony Brook, away from the vicissitudes of a cruel world. Mm-hmm. But when Stacy, Stacy's the only one who kind of rubs up against that and tries to get out, right? And she keeps going back to New York, which, as we know, is a real place where real people live. Murderers, mostly. Yeah, according to these books. Yeah. Yeah. The Uh, stalker lives in New York. The stalker lives in New York. A brewerian villain. Mm -hmm. The stalker lives. Okay. It's like something ripped out of a little sister book. Okay. Brewerian being from Karen Brewer. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that Karen would worry about. Right. But she's right. In the context of these novels, New York is full of stalkers and thieves and deviants. Um, so I don't know. That makes sense, right? Stacy has angered Anne, and so Anne inflicts upon Stacy the thing that she hates the most, the thing that took her fucking cat from her, right. the thing that afflicted the lives of her friends. So see, Baby Nation, it's not just us that hates Stacy. <laughs> Even Anne hates her. Yeah, well, she tried to get rid of her before. I shouldn't say we hate Stacy. We love all the Babysitter's Club members, but Stacy is our least favorite. In uh, Goodbye, Stacy. We got a tweet, but I'm not looking at it. Tanner got a tweet, and he's fucking dying right now. His eyes are like dinner plates. <laughs> I I can only assume that what I was saying was actually genuinely interesting to you, <laughs> because I've never seen you show this restraint literally ever in our eight years of friendship. <laughs> it looked like a good tweet. It looked robust. <laughs> Look like someone really had something to say to us. Won't it be something that you can enjoy after after the record? Yes. <laughs> if you're gonna explode with it, you could. I'd rather you look at it now. <laughs> Fucking hell, God! He it took one second for him to break. You're like Stacy with fudge. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty accurate, actually. <laughs> it's from our friend, Baby B, Ali Haggerty. Okay. I work with monkeys and can confirm that they smell like poop. <laughs> you heard it here baby nation tanner and i are not scientists we're not monkey scientists we don't pretend to be monkey scientists no but we have a deep and wide ranging knowledge of the natural world yeah and if you listen to two episodes ago uh we talked a lot about monkeys and we speculated that they might indeed smell like poop right. and it's great to have a baby bee scientist who works with monkeys who works monkey with monkeys scientist. a monkeyologist if you will yep uh confirm another that. brewerian villain <laughs> the monkeyologist <laughs> what was i saying Anne hates stacy she gave her diabetes it's obvious yep i think so yeah i was saying in the book goodbye stacy where stacy leaves for new york right and in the happy reading section says, I just thought it would be cool for one of the babysitters to move away, so I got rid of the worst one. I did not realize there would be such a fucking outcry. Yeah. That's a paraphrase. Right. That's not a direct quote of Anne, but... Essentially. It's essentially what she said. Um, I've described the book. No? Okay, look, I let you oh, look at I the totally tweet. forgot that I have to describe the book, too. Yeah. Jeez, Louise. Okay. okay. I feel like we got it, man. I want to hear you, and I want you to really fill out these 60 seconds okay i want you to weave a web of words for us today i want you to cast a spell upon us with your storytelling okay. channel your inner bard yeah and create for us the world of stony brook i'm ready go and starting now in 60 seconds no, don't say things while I say it. It's yeah. going to be okay. I'll get you there. <laughs> 60 seconds starting now. Okay. So, Stacy is living in Stony Brook, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a member of the Babysitter's Club. 
Um, she is having trouble with her parents who are using her as a go-between because they cannot speak to one another. They're often inquiring about one another's dating lives and they seem to always be upset with one another. Stacy is feeling very ill and has been for the last five books. She starts sneaking away treats, chocolates, ho-hos, fudge. Uh, she goes to visit her dad in New York and gets very ill on the train ride down. Mm-hmm. She, uh, Goes into has she has an episode and goes to the hospital and they're like oh your blood sugar's through the roof, uh, you've been sticking to your diet right and she's like yeah of course, uh, her mom comes down her dad and mom fight a lot Charlotte Johansson sympathizes with her and is turning into a hypochondriac and gets all sorts of diseases, uh, Stacy recovers and uh, uh, Charlotte Johansson is fine. Time. Yes. <laughs> Why do you always rush it in at the end? Uh, to to build tension. <laughs> you know, I know how to create good engaging radio and and the way to do that and is baby nations on the edge of their seat start speaking faster later yeah <laughs> that's how that's done can you imagine how boring it'd be if i spoke really fast at the beginning and then just like slow down? <laughs> think jack <laughs> think like a radio producer right, for once right. in your life you're right you're right you're not wrong you've done it again you've wowed us with your intellect your grasp of the text your facility for analysis and your way with words thank you <laughs> thank you i'll let you kind of do a lot of the heavy lifting from here on out <laughs> okay you know, that was pretty that's that really sapped my strength yeah boy you've earned it you sure have yeah, yeah. thank you i'll be back here uh no i will ha- happily do some of the heavy lifting but the one thing i ask is that you in fact open your eyes and keep your Head beautiful face mic. right up against the mic okay um, you want to talk about forbidden fruit? Do I want to talk about forbidden fruit? Yeah. Yes. Okay. The way that and okay, I'd say I don't have anything else. <laughs> We're getting to a stage now where you interrupt me without actually having a thing that you conceivably want to interrupt me with. It's just, that was it's just an a old conjunction. improv. It was an improv trick. <laughs> Oh, I see. You were trying to yes and I was yes anding. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that wasn't an interruption. That's at how all. you keep a conversation going. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's great. A little tip. Thank for... you, Jack Shepard. Uh huh. That's another way to keep a conversation uh-huh. going. Say the other person's name. Okay. You've read what? How to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's favorite word is their own name. Does Dale? Jack? Does Dale Carnegie say in How to Win Friends and Influence People yeah. that? a particularly good technique is to do the things while they're in the midst of talking. Yeah. Is that a thing that he says or did you just pick that up yourself? That's something you added to that. Very to the... insightful, Jack. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm not sure. And I believe mm-hmm. that Mr. Carnegie has passed away. Okay. So I don't think he could really give us that answer. <laughs> oh, so we'll oh, oh have... keep oh. eye contact here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maintain eye contact, Jack. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Okay. Great. What were you saying? I literally have no idea anymore. Oh, yeah, we were talking about forbidden fruits. Forbidden fruits. Yeah. And you said, yes, you want to talk about it. And and I'd love to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Oh, great. Okay, so you'd like to talk about it, and you'd love to talk about it. Yep. Okay. <laughs> That's fantastic. Did you notice that Stacy in this novel describes candy on three separate occasions in the same manner that one might describe a forbidden fruit? Okay. How might one describe a forbidden fruit? Since no one was watching, I stuck my hand in the dresser drawer where I'd seen Claudia rehide the ring dings. I pulled out a package and snuck it into my purse. And that's from Genesis? It could be. <laughs> it could be. Here's another one. Oh, I had longed for the taste of chocolate again. I had not had any since the doctors first discovered that I was diabetic. Claudia's ringdings had tasted out of this world. When I'd eaten them, I'd felt as if I were tasting chocolate for the first time. So I ate the entire candy bar. Then I felt guilty. That's from the Bible? That's from Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> the third one is fudge? Yeah. The third one is fudge. These things do come in threes in Anne and Martin novels when she wants you to notice something. I thought of the fudge in my purse... Do you know the phrase, money burning a hole in your pocket? Well, the fudge was burning a hole in my purse. I could not stop thinking about it. At last, I reached into my purse, found the fudge, and ate both pieces. Oh, yum. 
I craved chocolate now. I'd bought a candy bar at school and eaten it secretly in the girls' room that afternoon. And then there was that other candy bar and the ring dings. The ring dings? Jesus, she's talking about the ring dings? Like my Still fucking precious? Still the ring dings, yeah. <laughs> um, I feel the same way mm-hmm. about Sour Patch Kids as Stacy does about chocolate. Really? We have Sour Patch Kids at the office, uh-huh. and it's disruptive to my work <laughs> it's i'm always thinking mm-hmm. one floor up for me right now in the canteen is an entire jar of sour patch, of sour kids. patch kids you're it's like always in my head yeah and if i break if i go up and i eat one floodgates are open it's the pleasure pain thing for you yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what it's it like is <laughs> opening up that jar of sour patch kids is like solving the lament configuration <laughs> for me I love how much we reference Hellraiser in this podcast <laughs> about books for young girls. <laughs> hey, if it's in the text, it's in the it's fucking in the text. text. <laughs> oh man, I love Sour Patch Kids. Oh, uh, so that's just so thinking that, of them right now. Okay, mouth is just Let's, tripping. Okay, good. Well, this is you're you're giving us an object lesson. I can confirm that Tanner's mouth is dripping. He's wiping sweat from his brow. <laughs> 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 that really got him going. Um, <laughs> Loves our pitch kids. Stacy has this relationship with Candy in yes. this book. We've not seen it before. No, she's lost control. She's lost control, and it is this direct relationship with the Genesis story. Uh huh. Just to draw a From bright line for you. From the Bible. From the fucking Bible of reaching for the forbidden fruit. Right. And she does. She grabs it. She grabs it. And then what does she feel? Guilt. Guilt. And then diabetic shock. And then she goes to the hospital. And you know what room in the hospital she goes to, Tanner? Oh, is it the room? Is it whatever, 23? It's not the same number as the home room that Logan and Marianne share. It's a new number. It's room 322. She says to herself in one of her like fever dreams during this book, are you really Stacy McGill, a person? Or are you just that patient in room 322? Right. You think that has some significance? I think it might. Okay. I can't wait for you to unpack it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Three plus two is five. Plus two is seven. You recognize you're just doing holy math number. Now. You're just doing live math now. Seven is an important number in these yeah, books. Sure. Seven babysitters? Uh-huh. Do you want me to Google it? Yeah, why don't you uh, why don't you look it Tanner Googles. Tanner's Googling. I'm filling time. Tanner's Googling 322. Oh, he's making a face. He's making a funny face. He's found something. He's found something strange. Well, the top link the top link is titled 322 Secret Societies, Depopulation, and the Healthcare Plan. Oh, okay. So <laughs> what do Skull and Bones, Ancient German Secret Societies, the Georgia Guidestones, and the Healthcare Bill have in common? The answer is March 22nd. 322. That's not what I was going for here. I'm worried that we've ended up down this rabbit hole that I'm not going to be able to pull us out of. You are the one who told me to Google it. <laughs> I did not. I did not tell you to Google you it. absolutely I did. will let the record show that you said, do you want me to Google it? And you said, yes, please. How about I tell you what 322 stands for, my friend? Okay. I'm not going to tell you while you're watching a YouTube video. Um, Skull and Bones seems to be pretty big. All right. How about I tell you? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Genesis 322. 3 verse 22. You want me to read it to you? Yes, please. But then I've got some other good 322 stuff (laughs) (laughs) related to the Skull and Crossbones. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. You know when God says that? When he casts. Right after Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. Right. And are cast out. Of paradise. So they don't also eat from the tree of life and live forever. A recurring theme in these books. Woof. And God. And. Had to. Yes. Cast. Stacy. Stacy. Yeah. Out of Stony Brook. Right. Because she was too close. She was too close to the fucking truth. She was too close to unlocking the knowledge of good and evil. That's what the forbidden fruit is. 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How is Stacy capable of doing this and not any of the other? Because producers? she's the one who goes outside. She's the one who leaves Stony Brook. She can see from the outside. She's getting closer and closer. She's never been Anne's favorite. That's true. That's why Anne wasn't keeping an eye on her. Exactly. And if Anne was like, I don't care about her. She let her get into trouble. If you've read Paradise then Lost, then she got into the wrong kind of trouble. Paradise Lost. This was not an intention of Milton, but Eve comes across as a hero of that poem because. One reading of eating of the tree of good and evil against God's wishes is this act of freeing yourself, this Promethean act of ridding yourselves of the shackles of a deterministic God. Anne. Anne. <laughs> Stacy was too close. You know, it's also the emblem of the skull and crossbones. Or 322. Skull and bones. The Yale's Skull and Bones Society. The, skull, the secret society at Yale. Yeah. And you know Why? Uh, well, there's several there's several uh, theories in here. Do you want to know the most compelling theory why? I'm concerned that you know the most compelling theory why, I'll but go ahead. I'll tell you, because Genesis 3.22 is this symbol of freedom, this moment of choosing knowledge instead of oppression, this moment of eating the forbidden fruit and possessing secret knowledge. 3.22 is a very, very powerful number for that reason. The members are godlike in what they know, and know how the world works more than the average man on the street. They possess secret knowledge. Uh-huh. As does Stacy McGill. Yes. Which is why she needed to be dealt with. Anna's talking to us in this book. Right. Stacy reaches for the fruit three times, and three times she fails Anne, and then she's consumed with an overwhelming guilt. And what does Anne do? She teaches her a fucking lesson. Right. She casts her off. She sends her to confront death again. In New York. In New York. Where we will all confront death someday. Yeah. Everyone in this room, at least. I confront death every fucking day. Yeah, me too. Yeah, especially on my bike. Someone tried to fucking murder me yesterday. Murder you? On my bicycle, yeah. They did it with malicious intent? Yeah, I was not biking in the bike lane. Tip. And uh, the person driving behind me found that annoying. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they did a very long, annoying honk at me. Uh Uh-huh. And I made a rude gesture, I'm guessing. No, I was wearing my lobster gloves, which is two fingers each, right. like a little lobster claw. So your finger has a friend, so right. it can be warm. Right. So I tried to do a rude gesture, but it just looked like I was holding up two fingers. Right. And then they continued to honk, and I had no choice but to slow down to as slow a pace as I could possibly bike. And it's while and staying weave upright. back and forth in front of them. Right. <laughs> to really slow them down, to let them know how upset and angry I was. It's weird. You say you have no choice. <laughs> you had no choice in that situation. Any any red-blooded yeah. man or woman in right. that same situation. You're d- Think of it. You're deprived of you're the faculties real, of your middle finger. You're a real menace on the streets <laughs> of New York. <laughs> the only reason that I didn't then get righteously murdered yeah. was a cop car came behind us and put on its sirens and broke up the fight, and we both like freaked out <laughs> and went in different directions. <laughs> how, how many city blocks did you slow this guy down for? Less than five. <laughs> <laughs> Too many. Like honking the whole way, just like laying on his horn. Yeah. We, I think we. And you each, think his intention was to eventually end your life? I think that two of us innocent New Yorkers had set forth a chain of events that could not but end in my death. In someone's death. In someone's. You death. may have overpowered. Likely him. mine, being right. that I'm a small man on a bike. Right. And he, he is a, a he or she in car is a indescribable shadow Oof. in a large. Terrifying. Vehicle. Maybe it was God themselves. Yeah. Trying to pick you off. Please. Have you acquired any secret knowledge lately? Yeah, from this fucking text, man. <laughs> That's going to stalk you now. Yeah. Like Final Destination. Well, this book is a book that is about confronting death. It's about fear of death. Knowledge of the tree of good and evil is but one of the avenues uh, through which Anne shows us that fear of death. And I will remind you that... In the story of Adam and Eve, the other thing that happens when they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is they become mortals, and they know death. Is the tree of knowledge the same thing as the tree of life? 
No, they're tree? two different fucking trees. God says once you know good and evil, you can't eat from the tree of immortality. Right. That's the deal. Choose human life with all its messiness and knowledge and its mortality, or choose immortality and Eden and paradise and endless life without freedom. That's right. your fucking choice. That's Stacy's choice. And according to Anne, she made the wrong fucking choice. I mean, Anne should talk. We know how Anne feels about these girls. She feels that they should be protected and live forever. Except one of them, apparently. Right. Well, the one who transgresses, the one who tries to get out. Does Anne love Logan? My thought is that Logan just crept into these books. Yeah. Anne, wasn't, Anne didn't presence. choose to write. He's on the fringes. Yeah. Like, she wrote a book. Book 10 was originally called Loves Marianne. Yeah. And then when she looked at it... Scholastic lawyers, like, sent her an email there, like, uh, Anne, love this new Logan character. And she's (laughs) just like, what Logan character? What are you talking about? Yeah. Did you read Loves Marianne? (laughs) (laughs) And she gets the manuscript back, and she's like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) What have I done? It's happening. We must halt time. (laughs) And that's when she does it. Yeah. Oh, man, we're really getting into it today. You know who else confronts death in this book? No. Charlotte Johansson several times. Oh, several times. She gets everything. At some point, she's like, I've got arthritis. Right. In her back, which I think is very uncommon. I think I have the gout. Yeah. She has um, Lyme disease. Lumbago. Her kidneys are failing. Yeah. You name it, Charlotte Johansson's got it. Charlotte gets it. One suspects that it's sympathy pains. Uh, but now that you and I have kind of unpacked this, it, it may also just be that Anne is angry with Charlotte as well. She's give, It's like Job, right? Because She's just she, giving her every fucking disease. Right, to test her. Charlotte, you love Stacy so much, you must choose now to follow me, yep. Anne, uh-huh. your maker. Yep. Or follow Stacy. Go to New York where there are stalkers. Right. And people follow you for city blocks honking at you. <laughs> when, people when you've done nothing wrong. <laughs> slowly in front of you while you're just trying to get home to your family. <laughs> Menacing you. Street toughs. <laughs> do you? Do you have something you're looking up that you want to talk about? Or do you want to talk about Lane's gifts? Sure. She's a real weirdo. So Lane, baby bees, is... Stacy's Stacey's best friend. Non-Claudia best friend in New York. True best friend. True best friend. And she gives her the craziest gifts. Mentioned in this book are four gifts. And four, as we know, is a sacred number to Anne and Martin. Is every number sacred? Seven and four. Okay. Seven babysitters, four waypoints, four cardinal directions. Right. As discussed, yes. As discussed. Okay, good. You came right on board with that, didn't you? You had this like flare in your eyes, like you're ready to fight, and yeah. then you're like, "Yep, no, that's, no, that's that something sense. we both <laughs> yeah. completely agreed to." We've had long discussions about that. <laughs> I'm not going to go against BSC lore. She gives Stacy four gifts. The first gift mentioned is a cicada. Lane's taste can sometimes be strange. Once she had given me a keychain that looked like a cicada. Spooky. The second gift that she gives to Stacy. Plastic blue flowers. Bright blue, fake tulips. Yeah. She's like, good news, these flowers will never die. Mm, interesting. The next gift that she gives to Stacy is a spider with red glasses. As discussed. As discussed. And the final gift that she gives to Stacy is a mirror that laughs at her. Mm-hmm. You think this is significant? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go through it real fucking quick. Uh-huh. Each one of these things is a contradiction. Cicadas represent traditionally in mythology death and resurrection. They die, they go to ground, and they die, but they come back. Is that true of cicadas? Yeah, they bury themselves in the ground and they come back every however many years, seven years, 17 years. That's cool. You didn't know that about cicadas? No. Oh, I guess you didn't grow up in Maryland. We have Miller moths in Colorado. Okay, well, that's what happens with cicadas. They are a potent symbol of death and resurrection. But these are all things that relate to Stacy, right? That's true, yeah. Death and resurrection is divorce, diabetes, her displacement from New York. Sure. Stacy is constantly dealing with like love, dying, and being born again. She was also literally killed and resurrected in this book. She does, spoiler alert, Baby Nation, end up back in Stony Brook. Yeah. Having made a recovery. Right. St. Anne. Yeah, brought her back. Right. Plastic flowers are also a contradiction. It's beauty, but it's also artifice. 
that is what Stacy deals with when she is obsessed daily with her fashion choices. Right. Is this really giving her life meaning? Her obsession with wearing like stupid shit and never being as cool and fresh and dibbly and distant as Claudia? Right. It's just natural for you now, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the spider with red glasses is Stacy's fear of fitting in. And finally, the final gift that Lane gives to her is a mirror that laughs at her. I mean, first of all, Anne, I'm not making this up. Yeah. Lane gives Stacy a gift that is a mirror that laughs at her. Yeah, that it's a laughs gag, at gag her. gift. Yeah. What is Anne saying? The last gift for me is the key. Okay. Lane gives her these three gifts that are full of me. Let's take it on face value just to get it out of the way. Okay. It's a gag gift. Yeah. You look at it. Yeah. It laughs at you. It's a mirror. Implying you're ugly. Implying that it sees deep into your insecurities and... And it laughs at them. And it laughs at them. That's it sort of liberating in a way, sees, though. I mean, I think a lot of this is about authenticity, right? Okay. This is something that Stacy struggles with, is authenticity. Uh, obviously. And to be authentic, according to a lot of philosophers, particularly Heidegger... I have to go. <laughs> you have to face up to your fear of death. Everything I have to go to. Yeah? Yeah. Are you being authentic right now? Very much so. If you're going to talk about Heidegger... Oh my God, my calendar. <laughs> it says here... Um, that I need to be anywhere where Jack is not talking about <laughs> Heidegger. It's a very specific thing to put in your calendar. I mean, if this, then that set up. <laughs> Do you not agree that this is a book that is about death? It is absolutely a book about death. There is a reading of this text where Stacy does indeed pass. Yes. And As dies. happened in the last Stacy book. She did not die in that book. Stacy. She slipped into a diabetic coma. And the secret of Stony Brook. Right. She slipped into a diabetic coma in that book. Right. This is the book where the diabetic coma finally catches up with her and she passes. Exactly. Do you have any support for her passing in this book? I have support for this book being a continued dream sequence. Right. First of all, when was the last time someone walked into your hospital room and gave you a mirror that laughs at you. That's not a thing that happens outside of It's weird that a mirror that laughs at you is the otter gift and not a tarantula that wears <laughs> red sunglasses. They're all fucking crazy. This yeah, book, they're all weird. Like Stacy books have been recently, has this incredibly surreal quality. Right. Here's some other passages that I'm just going to read to you. Now it was sometime in the early afternoon, and Mom and I were following the yellow brick road back to our house on Elm Street in Stony Brook, Connecticut. My eyes drooped as we drove along. Yes. Yellow brick road. Right. Elm Street. Yep. <laughs> my eyes drooped. Yep. Stacy is not awake, and she is not in a good place. She's having a Wizard of Oz nightmare on Elm Street. And then her eyes droop. I think her eyes drooping in that moment is the moment her life is extinguished in these books. Yes. So while she's in the hospital, before she passes, but while she's still in her diabetic coma, if you buy into this theory and why would you not, her parents are there and they're fighting because they do not get along. And she tells them both to shut up. Yeah. And get out. And get out. Yeah. And they both, both parents start bursting into tears. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert, that's my tearful moment. Uh, <laughs> Great. <laughs> and several days later, after she goes home, after she follows the yellow brick road, mm-hmm. ends up back in Stony Brook on Elm Street, closes her eyes one last time, she's in this ideal moment where she's laying in bed and her mom comes in and she's like, Mom, I want to apologize. The way I acted, even though I was sick and grumpy, was uncalled for. And her mom says, apology accepted. It's very mature of you. And then she says, uh, thank you, I said again. I kissed mom. I'm really tired, I told her. But I have to do one more thing before I go to bed. I stood up. Then I went in my mom's room. It was time to talk to my father. Oh, God. And that's the last line of the book. She's talking to... <laughs> she's talking to... She's confronting her father. Her father. The father. Wow. Stacy's emergency, ladies and gentlemen. She's emerging. You know what emergency means in Latin? It literally means a moving out. Uh-huh. She's moving out. She's leaving. She's yeah. gone. The emergency has happened. Right. Right at the end of this book, she goes and has the one last conversation with the big man. Yeah. 
Here's the last thing she says to Claudia. I changed into my nightgown and crawled into bed. Claudia and I gabbed until I started to fall asleep. I'll call you later, said Claude as she left. Okay, thanks. I drifted off to sleep, thinking, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. She went home. Yeah. She went home. She went home to talk to her father. To talk to her father. Well, thanks, Anne. That's a weird one. Yeah, thanks, Anne. She's killing them off one by one. Didn't she kill off Marianne in the last book? Marianne may have died. It's there not was clear. a there was a tenuous theory that she that Logan may have frozen her to death. I feel like uh, it was a pretty strong theory. It's pretty well validated by the books. Yeah, wasn't that the same guy who came up with uh, bread theory, which I think is uh, deprecated at this point? Uh, bread theory is doing very well. Well, I'll tell you something. I am going to really enjoy seeing what Anne does, having a character in these books who is who she on is on the other side killed off and is on the other side yeah i've grown attached to old stacy not me i'm yeah i'm okay no i just didn't want to speak ill of the dead yeah oh sure um listen tanner no yeah let's jump the gun here okay did you have a perfect that was perfect um, I had one that was like unusually brutal. Okay, coming from Christy, she's got a reputation of sticking her foot in her mouth. Yeah, and this is one of those moments. Okay, Stacy is hospitalized in New York. Yeah, she's on her deathbed. Yeah, and the, all the girls go down and visit her, mm-hmm. and she is at her worst moment at this point. She is sunk as low as she can. She's so so sick. Yeah. She can't eat. She can't stay awake. Yeah. She can barely keep her eyes open for the girls all being there. She's just like emaciated. She's this skeletal figure with this like paper thin skin Mm -hmm. just laying in this bed dying. Uh, And all the girls come visit her. Oh, wow. I can't believe this. I exclaimed. I thought I was dreaming. This is a dream come true. Boy, the hospital sure has made you maudlin, said Christy. (laughs) She held up one hand and rubbed her index finger back and forth across the top of her thumb. What's that? (laughs) I asked. The world's saddest story played on the world's smallest violin. (laughs) I feel like Christy has a future doing hospice visits. Oh, she's like a Patch Adams. Yeah, is a Patch Adams. (laughs) You're dying in that bed. I'm dying up on this stage. Yeah, that's very Christy. So not like a great burn, but just like very good timing. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right, let me look and see if I had one. Okay, here's one. Very brief one. It's Pike Triplets. <laughs> uh-huh. This is when Stacy gets back from the hospital, and the entire town of Stony Brook has shown up to welcome her. Right. There was a rush of bodies. I ran around the front of the car. Slow down, Stacy, said Mom. And all the kids ran toward me. Soon I was hugging everyone. Except the Pike triplets, who said they would die if a girl touched them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, they came to her fucking coming home party. They're not right. saying they're not pleased that she's back. Right. They're just saying that they are deathly allergic to her. Right. You know? What would you call that? Gynophobia? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think that's what you would call it. Yeah. I mean, this is a book that's like treating different kinds of disease and bringing normalcy to them. Right. You know, that's a real thing. That just seems like a fear of girls. Yeah, that's what that's what they have. I mean, but like this is a disease they have though. This is they, they will die. Jen. Yeah, <laughs> they're not afraid of her. So they in some die. ways, it's, it's a fucking tragedy. Yeah, like this is someone they like and respect and care for. And they can never get close to her. They can never touch her. I mean, I think that's probably true of most of Stony Brook, though. Yeah, she's um, sullied. Oh, Anne has cast her gaze away from Stacy. Right. Stacy doesn't feel the cool, warm rays that you feel <laughs> from, the sun from the sun ray. <laughs> from the sun ray that is Anne's loving gaze yeah. and embrace. She's right. A, she's cast out in the darkness. So in order to get close to Stacy, yeah. you also need to step into the shadow. Yeah. And by doing so, you're opening yourself up to all sorts of evils. That's some real shit right there. Death is the least you need to worry about. Yeah. Anne can do anything to you. Right. Unless you're hidden by the shadow. Oh, Stacy can do anything now. Oh, <gasps> Jack, there's a new Dark Lord in Stony Brook. Logan's gone. 
Logan's gone. Logan's no longer a character in these books. Yeah. Marianne cut him loose. Yeah. Stacy's the new agent of darkness and, and shadows. I can't buy that. Uh, you're wrong, though. Listen, how many original babysitters were there? Four. <laughs> I got you, didn't I? How many yeah. babysitters are there when the circle is complete? Seven. They started with four, then there were seven. These are the two numbers that matter to Anne. She's not going to make one of the seven anathema. We would need a new babysitter. Let me read you a quote from this very book. This is Stacy talking right at the beginning. I became the seventh member, and I think I'll be the last, unless someone else has to leave. That is one of the first lines in this book. Stacy knows. She's like begging Anne. Yeah. I'm the seventh, and I will be the last. Right, unless. The seven or one. The four became the seven. So she's, she's, prom- she's saying like, unless someone comes to take my place. Yeah. I will continue to be here, I mean, even, well, even after death. Yeah. Keep your eye on these pages. Nothing can stop me. Even after death, nothing can stop me because I am part of this circle of sitters. She's a shadow cast upon the circle, though. Well, that's something that we can explore. I think it'll bear fruit. Ugh, forbidden fruit. <laughs> Anne. Anne. What a web you have woven for us today. What a web woven. Um, Black W's. Oh, here's a, here's a thought. Um... Did you notice what a fucking badass Alan Gray was being this week? No, did he come up? <laughs> yeah, he fucking <laughs> came up. Uh, Alan Gray and Koki are fucking killing it this Oh, week. yeah, Koki got a nose job. Yeah, Koki got a nose job. That um, The babysitters go visit uh, Stacy in the hospital in New York. Right. And Stacy's like, what's the fucking gossip? Right. And one of the pieces of gossip is that Koki got a nose job. Uh-huh. Alan Gray is also in the news. Okay. Alan Gray got suspended for setting off a cherry bomb in the boys' room on the second floor. <laughs> Alan Gray is blossoming into a real anti-hero. You think so? Well, he's he, like the Punisher. He's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. His backstory is so fucking tragic. If you come into these books just from this book, if Stacy's Emergency is the first one you read, you're like, oh, this Alan Gray guy sounds like a terrorist. He's like a monster. He's outside the law. Right. You know, he's setting off cherry bombs in the boys' bathroom on the second floor. I'm glad he got suspended. Right. But that's how they get you in. Then you watch that episode, and then yeah. you watch his fucking origin story. Right. He gets fucking rejected at the Halloween hop. Yeah. By Christy? His uh, daughter and wife were brutally killed (laughs) on the streets of the meatpacking district. Yeah, unstated. And he turned to to vigilante justice (laughs) to soothe his soul. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, then you'll understand. Very rich character. Yeah, you would set off fucking cherry bombs in the boys' bathroom as well. Yeah. If that shit happened to you. That would be the smallest thing that you would do. Oh, it's the smallest thing he does. Yeah. Yeah. That was distraction. Yeah. He was like, I needed to get suspended so I could unravel my real fucking life. Yeah. God, I love Alan Gray so much, man. I wish him nothing but the best. I'm a little worried that Alan Gray mm-hmm. is going to have a run-in with Shannon Kilborn. Oh, fuck. Shannon Kilborn will be sent to take care of this menace. Take him down. Alan Gray. Well, this is the thing. Alan Gray, right? He, he exists between the light and the dark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's right in the name. Yeah, it's right in the name there. And yeah. makes no mistakes. Else. All in gray? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Tanner? Jack? Did you? Have... I already said mine. Should we just skip it? Yeah, I don't, I don't really have one. You know what, Baby Nation? Unilateral decision right now? Yeah. Neither of us cried reading this book. And this is a podcast that is about truth. And this is a book that is about authenticity right. and if Tanner had bothered to listen to me during the Heidegger section, fear of death, which is connected, it's that's what being in time is about. That's it. That's, I just want to say that. That's what being in time is about. It's about authenticity, and it's about fear of death, and it, how those two things are connected. But here's the thing. We've confronted our fear of death. We've confronted the potential death of Stacy. And probable. Now we are living inside our own authenticity and our own freedom. And that's what Stacy's going to deal with next in the next book, Stacy's Choice. And that's the, you know, fucking hell. That's the move from Heidegger to Sarch. Anybody who's still paying attention. Stacy's ex-best friend is the next book. Yeah. Then Stacy's choice. Okay. Well, who fucking knows? You got anything else you want to talk about, Tanner, this week? I don't think so. 
Um, listen, if we have nothing else to talk about, I thought we might wrap things up and get the fuck out of here. Man, I would love that. Okay. Someone's got to go home and pack tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Babies and gentlemen. For Costa Rica. No one cares. Tanner's going to Costa Rica. Are we recording while you're in Costa Rica? Playa de Monos. That means Don't. monkey beach. Going well, to a beach full of monkeys. You're going to look like a monkey and you're going to smell Oh, I can. Too. I will be a monkey scientist next week. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can confirm whether or not monkeys smell like Oh, that's food. actually great. That's something we can look forward to. Yeah. Come back. We're not recording. Well, come back and tell the Baby Nation what monkeys look and smell like. I would love to. We're, we're going we're gonna to really delve deep into this. Yeah. We've got, we've got experts on the line. Two experts. Yeah. So it'll be me and actual monkey scientists. Yeah. Baby Bee Alley. Mm-hmm. So, great. A lot of monkey experts for one little podcast, you know? Yeah. 200% more monkey experts than most podcasts. Yep. God, (laughs) that's just one of our many claims to fame. Um, And if that's not enough to Uh encourage you to give us a nice rating and a nice review on iTunes. Yeah. Like, what do you want? Three fucking monkey experts? We'll do it, Baby Nation. We'll find another monkey expert if yeah. that's what it takes. I will find another monkey expert. If that's what it is, if that's what's holding you back, if you've been listening to these podcasts and you have not rate, reviewed, and subscribed because you're waiting for a third monkey expert, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll fucking do it. We'll put the legwork in. We'll send someone out there. We're sending a man on location right. next week to go smell a monkey. You know how much that fucking costs? A lot. It's very expensive. I'm staying for a week too. Jesus. You taking your wife? Yeah. God, man, that's our entire treasury. I know. And we make a lot of money. Yeah. And we make a lot of money from this podcast. Yeah. Um, listen. Listen. Baby Nation. Hi. Hi. I have been this week Jack Shepard. This week I have been Tanner Greenring. This week, the two of us, together, read and discussed the novel Stacy's Emergency. Next week, we're going to be reading a little book called Dawn and the Big Sleepover. Sounds pretty biblical. Does it? <laughs> oh, wow. Shit, it already does. Yeah. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's going to be a tough one for me to yeah. wiggle your way out of. Yep. I'll and find a way. You'll find a way. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Claudia uh-huh. is wearing a bra now. Uh-huh. And the way she talks. Uh-huh. You think the boys had just been invented. Do you want to hear my searcher joke? No, I already heard your Sartre joke. One time joke. I was at a... No, I heard your Sartre joke earlier. One time I was at a cocktail party, and we Sartre walked in, and I was sitting there talking to Heidegger, uh-huh. and uh, I, nod, I nodded at Sartre, and Heidegger was like, what? I said, hey, crack a window. Someone just started. I guess it depends on how you pronounce his last name, because <laughs> you were saying it's Sart earlier today. It, yeah. Do we get kicked out of every fucking salon in Paris? You think so? Yeah, you wouldn't last a fucking second. I'm not with my sh- dagger-like wit. <laughs> <laughs> Someone just started. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Good. The Parisians, like all their monocles would pop out. They'd be in shock. 